Garnack. This is going to be simple. This bridge, no problem. You can jerry rig something. Absolutely no problem. Give me a minute, guys. I'll get this handled. So as you're figuring that sort of thing out, you notice that Vesper wanders out of the surf and uh, Finn hands her a towel. Everybody starts to converge on the bridge behind you. As you approach, Garnak levels off his tan launcher and just launches it across the 20-foot span that's missing in the causeway. It hits the mechanism, like the, the projectile, lands on the other side and uh, just hisses out a bunch of smoke. This was a pesticide round for you were designing for the orchards and uh, you mistakenly brought it in with your other ammo. So it was a good sacrificial round to hit that mechanism. As the framework of the bridge collapses, your next round is a canned net, which you then launch up pretty much into the center of the span. When the can explodes, the super strong magnets adhere the net to all four corners of the span almost perfectly. Testing it with your mechanical foot and giving it a good 20 pound push. The net doesn't flex too much at all. The way is clear and you can cross. Before Garnak starts across the bridge, Finn will approach him and say, uh, Master Garnak, will all of your devices make so much noise? Uh, some make a lot more. It's just that we may not want the things inside there to know we're coming, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And he gestures and says, and I mean no disrespect, but is there any way that you can quiet that thing? Oh, sure. I reach down and uh, turn a dial, uh, move a crank on there and just kind of like twist one of the gears. And I start walking and it stops making any noise at all. It wasn't broken, just didn't really see a point. It's a safety feature. When you're stomping through enclosures, you want to scare the beasts before, like you want the beasts to know you're coming so that they will maintain their distance because beasts are good like that. It's only people who want to get up in your space. It's for working safely in the enclosures, right? And it works just as well in the hall. But now it's quiet. And uh, although he does give the net a good shake, it's a considerably harder kick than you thought a mechanical folk would give. He steps out and being the probably one of the heaviest among you steps out onto the net which sags just enough to hold his weight well that's an interesting contraption i move across about as safely as i can trying to pretty much not put too much pressure on any one corner trying to keep my weight somewhere near the the points of equilibrium as best i can as i'm going across it till i get to the other end and see if I can start reinforcing the corners also before everyone else crosses. 
Absolutely. You get those uh, magnets tightened on even better. Straighten the thing out. Uh, just get it all together. It, it, it's nice and solid for the rest of your team to cross. The rest of you, it's kind of like walking on a trampoline, but uh, it works. You see a little bit of Magrin's uh, bare foot kind of poke out from the edge of her skirt as she kind of like taps it a couple times to make sure it's okay um, before crossing. And she'll also watch Vesper's crossing because she's curious if the trampoline-like quality will make her jump like a rabbit, like her feet would indicate she does. Yeah, Vesper just walks. She doesn't try anything fancy. She just walks across. Chin does the same. Uh, Miss Vesper, any gestures and points? Beneath the water, you can see these two shadows, like these two sleek shadows. They just dart around. They're very sleek and fast, right? And they're, they're just, they look like part of the water, really. It takes a second to point them out. Oh, what are those? It's called a shark. They never stop moving, and they can smell blood in the water. Fascinating. She's listening to you, but she's also just staring at the sharks. Most of the time, they'll leave you alone. If you leave them alone. Best keep your distance from anything wild. Well then, you should back away a few feet, Mr. Finn. I don't count myself amongst those who need to stay away from the beasts. Interesting. And she just looks them up and down and then walks towards the others. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runetics, and let's roll. Is everyone across? Yep. I pull out small little, probably look like a half of a cube, and just sit on the edge of the map, hit a button that reverses the magnetism on the net, and the whole thing will just snap back like a slingshot coming back at this little, at the cubic magnet. Once it's wrapped itself around the cubic magnet, you can put it back in a can. Yeah, I'm glad it worked this time. I'm currently thinking about um, shark soup and its health properties. Good for cartilage, right? Lots of cartilage. It's good for the joints. Exactly. Finn is going to approach Auntie Magrin and say, uh, I'll stay ahead of Professor Volant if you want to watch his back. 
That sounds like a good plan. He needs to be surrounded by responsible people. What a nice outing. Even if there aren't any ghosts, this has been a nice day, really. So you reach the far end of the causeway, and uh, there is an arch at the far end, like a gate. And sure enough, it is gated with two iron gates, one of which hangs off its hinges at a weird angle. The gates are both held together by a length of chain, but the busted gate hangs askew so that, I mean, Magrin, you could just walk through. Uh, Garnak, you really have to fit and squeeze. Juro, um, you have to duck under the chain. Finn, well, not so hard. Vesper, your horns just do not want to get through this gap at all. I'd probably be pulling out the glyph stone right about now and see if I could get the thing set up. Um, is it is it basically something I would have to hold, like a camcorder? Or is it something that I could rig where it would actually end up moving? Or could I set it up like on a shoulder mount or something like that? Yes. Uh, it has to be held to accompany you. And it, like, like, it obviously has to accompany you to record what you're doing. It gets everything in a 30-foot radius. As Vesper walks onto the grounds, does she feel anything? This island... Once you pass the iron gates and the insulating qualities of the water, yes, the feeling of this island gives you the jeeps. Roll insights. 24. Okay, so um, you get a feeling off this place that uh, it used to be somebody's most prized possession. And then it was a family's favorite place. And then it was the latest acquisition in a rich person's panoply of goods. And then it was where he sent her to have the children. And then it was the place my father left me. And then it was where our marriage ended and there have been a lot of dead people in this house. Vesper is just kneeling on the ground, hands dug into the dirt, feeling all of this. She just shakes her head, keeping her eyes closed, not really listening to what's around. What does it look like in here? Well, right now you are standing at the base of the path which winds up to the house throughout the garden and the topiary. This is, like I said, a rich family's beach house. And so at one time it was quite well appointed and landscaped and looked after and maintained, but now it just stretches up atop this lonely pile of rock with all of its gardens gone fallow. Garnet, you get your shoulder mount sorted. It's raised the crystal up probably eight inches over the top of your head. It's going to come off behind your head between your shoulder blades. Just for a nice above all around view, right? Perfect. So as you walk up this cobblestone pathway, which has since spit out all its cobblestones and is just a more or less flat yet rocky trail up through these hawthorns. 
with a stone wall of about knee high for you, Finn. Um, running along it. Uh, there are planters every once in a while. Some of them have hawthorns. Some of them have like wild tangles of roses that have uh, since lost their flowers and are all just gone to bud. And other plants of various descriptions. Now, Finn, you're in the front. So I need you to make a perception check, please. 13. Okay, so all around you, you can see that the sun is starting to wester. And uh, we'll probably go down in a couple hours. The house is up on the highest point of this. Is the is the are the gardens overgrown and wild, or is it all dead? As mentioned, the property maintenance on this place could probably use a bit of work. It's all overgrown and wild and feral. Most of the hedges are of the namesake of this house, Hawthorne. So tough, hard, thorny, spreads broad leaves and gets out of control quickly if not well-maintained. Okay. Like, you can hear movement out there, too, eh? I only didn't mention because it's normal, like gulls and, like, the normal yeah. rabbits and rats and shit you'd, you'd hear in the undergrowth. But, uh, yeah, no, there, there's life out there, and it's it's all tangled up and wild and feral and six-foot-high grass and stuff, you know? So athletics check was 14. I'm going to attempt to get to the top and then I'll wait to see if anyone needs help. If I could throw down a guide rope for them to, you know, use to make it easier. Well, somebody's definitely going to have to give Magrin and Garnack a boost. That's more than enough to get you up there. So you take a bit of a running jump at it and uh, you scramble up to the top. Finn will get the rope out of his pack, tie a bowl and, and toss it down for folks to use as balance as they hike their way up. So you do tie your bowl and toss it down. It's good and solid and everybody manages to get up. Great. Vesper's not actually with them yet. Nope, Vesper is still back at the thing where she's drinking in all of these memories. These kids laughing and playing down by the beach. And then, like, when that shark just leapt up out of the water and snatched one off the dock the one time. That's why they sold it. Yeah, she's she's just taking in everything that this place has experienced that she can feel. And it's a lot. She just walks towards the stairs, still a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Still a little out of joint from what she felt. Can I get everybody to make a perception check, please? Natural 20. Bam. 22 total, not natural, 20 involved. Eight. Garnett got an 11. Finn got 22. Was that our first natural 20 of this campaign? I think it might have been. Nice. So, there's a stiff wind now blowing in off the Western Ocean, the Ostorian Sea, the West Rim. 
and and it carries with it the like that briny stink of churning salt water if you know the smell and the surf begins to pick up a little bit because the uh the winds picked up and you can see that in the distance there is rain approaching well we're definitely not going anywhere tonight finn because you're in the lead as you look back down to see where everybody else is um you look and you see the like you look for a minute at the approaching storm you can see that yeah it's it's going to be a good rain just in time too but more than that through the tall grass and bushes and everything you see motion bigger than a rabbit vesper yes before finn can say eyes up everyone you hear motion through the grass behind you and to your left magrin the place shivers under your feet ever so slightly but the clever feet of the halfling folk are never wrong. Vesper is going to turn towards the movement and try and, yeah, try and make out what it is. Something dashing off through the scrub. She starts dashing after it. Vesper, where are you going? She does not hear you. Beast mode has been activated. So you go crashing off through the woods and uh, it's not very quick. This is difficult terrain, so you can dash 30 feet in this round. The thing which is running off through the woods, however, doesn't have this problem. Okay, I rolled a 16. If you want to track this thing, you have to beat 16 to do it. That was an 18. Okay, you still can't see it, but you can see where it's going, like by the shaking of the trees. So you push on into the next round. Finn. I want to focus on the shape to see if it's movement or sound or smell. Give me any clue as to what this is that we're facing. You can gather by making an insight check. 21. Roughly humanoid size and shape. I think something's been stalking us, boys. And Finn is going to sprint after Vesper. Can I dash? You can dash all the way to where she got into the thicket. Magrin? So Magrin's curious about the the kind of vibration she's feeling beneath her feet. Um, does she, like, is it connected to this creature or is it a different issue? It feels like the whole island had a momentary shiver. Hmm, okay. She's going to follow the rest of the group, but at a much more kind of sedated pace. She's she's more unsure about what's going on and doesn't want to just rush headlong into it. Alright. Wise. So you're going to hold and watch and make your way as Vesper goes pouring off into the trees. Got it. 
Garnick. Well, downhill's easier, and I start taking off in the direction. Juro? Juro has a very bad feeling about this, so uh, before he takes off after the others, he will form a quick symbol in the air in front of him, and then uh, touch his own chest, and from where he touches, a barely visible energy ripples out and covers his entire body in a magical barrier. And uh, he will proceed to uh, try to catch up to the others. In the westering light, as the sun hits the top of the approaching storm and paints the top of those clouds orange and purple, uh, in just the right glint, Juro's enchantment catches the light and looks like some of that very stylishly designed but completely impractical to build plate man. It's invisible, of course, but for just a second, there's a gleam. Um, so I'm going to take out a particularly wicked looking dagger, um, definitely homemade from the looks of it, considering the horn that's being used as the handle, uh, kind of tied on with twine. She readies it, you know, in case something comes and jumps at her. Um, and then she's going to try to rapidly go through her knowledge of creatures that would typically live in this kind of terrain um, for anything humanoid to determine if it's if it's a humanoid that we need to stop Vesper from killing or if it's something we need to let Vesper go crazy on. You can roll a perception check. Okay, 17 on perception. And now uh, nature check, please. 15 on nature. Okay, so as you see everybody watch off into the woods, you see that the grass in a line going pretty much along the path that Vesper chased is sinking down towards the ground. Not drastically, but enough that it's noticeable as though air were being drawn downwards towards the ground, which seems odd. Now, putting that in your mind, because it's, it's noteworthy, you've got your dagger and are kind of worried about what might be coming. And then you realize, as six waves crash into the beach, that on the seventh one, a gust of wind goes shooting up along that path while Vesper crashes around in the trees. And Finn looks for a target. It was just the wind after all. Bit of a cackle. Hello, everyone. Everyone calm down, you knuckleheads. It's nothing to be worried about. You guys are jumping at shadows. You don't think this place is really haunted, do you? It's the wind, people. The wind. Yep, and sure enough, something zips off through the woods every seven waves or so. Someone go get Vesper. She can't run too far away. Vesper, you go running off into the woods. You cannot see anything but these apple trees. There is about six inches of uh, apples which have fallen off this tree, or these trees all over the place. They 
The trees clearly yield abundantly, and those apples which are still on them are big and fat and yellow and look to be of that kind alchemically bred to taste even better than they would naturally. Okay, so as she goes running, and I don't think Vesper would hear Magrin, but she gradually realizes that there's nothing actually there. She's going to slow down, but keep moving forward. Um, Because, you know, just searching in case there's something else out here that shouldn't be. Jero, there's no sign of the tether running out. You think that your spell should be tugging at you, which it should be, is the center of the classroom, but you don't feel any pressing at the outside of it. All the same, uh, how far away is Vesper from me at the moment? Can I still see her? Uh, she, you can see the flashes of where her skin is exposed through the cracks and the foliage and the, the tall grasses and whatnot like that, for sure. Uh, proximate distance. 50 feet. Okay, so if I, if I just uh, trot out at approximately you know, a, a rate of 20 feet per round, just kind of a casual jog, and use my uh, face step ability and pop out right next to her and grab her wrist. First thing is you need to catch the edge of something so that you can jump out of the edge of something else. And these trees are pretty overgrown. And like, frankly, Jiro, it's been a while since you've done it with anything but doorways. However, now's the time, right? Oming's voice in the back of your mind saying, like, you used to be so impressive, Juro. So Juro steps into the grove about 15 feet from where Vesper is. And he does this by stepping around and then, like, three paces later, catching the edge of the shadow of this grove. Whereupon he just seems to, like, fall into it. It's like, a, just he just vanishes. And a blink later, he steps out into the you know, the, the slanting sunlight through the canopy of these apple trees. And it hurts. It does feel like I have not worked out in a very long time, and my muscles strain against the sudden displacement. And you're about 18 feet from where you'd aimed. Shit. But you're closer to her, actually, it just like that other step would have been a lot less of a wrench. Do I hear him step out of the shadow? Certainly not. He's an he is an elf. They are as silent as the evening falling. Alright. So she's just gonna continue wandering forward. Vespa wait. She turns and like crouches in a fighting position when she hears Juro. It's me. Bit of a snarl. It's me. Calm down. There's nothing there. What you saw was the wind. Okay? I figured that out. Look, I don't know how far you can go from me. I need you to come back with me and stay close. Okay? This is an experiment. And at the very least, I need to isolate variables so we can see just how far we can push it. Yes, this is an experiment. And I'm experimenting by seeing how far I can go. Wasn't that the whole point? No, no. 
No, the point of this experiment was to see if you could be tethered to me instead of to directly to the university. I don't want you to go too far from me. That's not the point of the experiment. And we don't know what will happen to you if you do. That's the point of an experiment, Mr. Joro, or Professor. We try <sighs> things out to see if they work or not. That's what you've always told me. And she will straighten up and still has the mad expression on her face, but her she's not like clawing at anything. The uh, the force in her voice as she said professor really did sting a lot more than Juro's going to let on right now. Just just please come back with me. If I must. And I know better than to tell you that you must. I am asking you. Well, it's not really a question if I don't have much choice, is it now, professor? And she will just walk past him towards where, back the direction she came from. Jura could melt steel with the look on his face once she has passed. She's not fully, like, storming, stomping, but she's definitely very, very tense. It's along about two to three inches wide, this line into the grass. And yeah, now you can see it. This is just a... It's a great big crack in the stone that makes up most of this island. Breathing. Now that you're all aware of it, that's exactly what it sounds like. Like the island itself is breathing. Finn's going to walk over to the crack and put his hand over it and wait to see if he can feel where the wind is. Like, is the wind blowing up out of the crack? Yep, in a in a line as though it's being pushed along by the water behind it. Like it's it's a breath out, like a like a puff, like a right? But it, it goes along a line into the grass, and every seven waves or so, yep, there it goes off into the grass, like a rabbit. Except, you know, much bigger in its effects. Because it's a lot of air moving. I never seen a zephyr work quite like this. Negrin, I understand that you are not the sort to go about shod. You are more of a traditional barefooted halfling. Is that right? That is correct. Well, your adherence to tradition has paid you well today because you noticed earlier that before the first puff, you felt the island shift mildly under your feet, remember? I'm pointing it out because you notice it again. There's just a slight shift of the rock that you're standing on. It seems to be rocking back and forth with the tide. It's minute, but it's happening. I think you may be onto something with the island breathing. I don't think it breathes in a biological sense, but there's definitely shifting happening. And based on that wave pattern, I would say it's it's got a distinct timing. Well, it is as regular as the tides, and well, it do, yes, it does remind you of, of biological breathing. It's it's a good simulation. It, it is perfectly steady, right? Where biological breathing never is. Professor, is it possible there's caverns under some of these islands? 
Well, al- almost certainly. I've never been this uh, this far northwest in in Tallwater, surprisingly. But it's very possible that there's a whole network of, of tunnels and caverns and, well, I, I imagine they're mostly man-made, though. I say we follow this crack down to the shore and see if it opens up at all. How much time does it look like we have before the storm gets here? Less than an hour. Uh, we might want to save exploration for a time that's a little bit less on the clock. Yes, quite. And uh, I would very much like to move ahead with our original goals here and uh, get to cleansing this place. Good luck with cleansing it. What do you mean by that? Vesper's up by Magrin currently, and she just says, Well, there's been a lot of death here, Professor. I don't know if you'll be able to clear all of it. What do you mean a lot of death here? I've not read anything about any goings-on here. How, how do you know about this? The Earth told me. The, the Earth told you. And Vesper will just smirk and continue climbing up, trying to be ahead of everyone. I don't know how well that's going to work without a rope, but that's what she's attempting, at least. Well, if you want to make uh, four athletics checks for me, please. Well, first athletics was an 18, then a 9, a 12, and a 19. Okay, well, you go dashing up ahead of Finn while he reaches down and gives uh, Jero a hand up, who in turn turns around because it's needed, and uh, everybody gives Garnak a hand up. Not your fault, Garnak. Dwarves are heavy. And the good leg's a mechanical one. I mean, like, in hauling Garnak up and, uh... Anyway, you dash on up ahead, and then it's a jump, which you don't make because, uh... There's this slick mud that's gotten all over the floor, and you just cannot get purchase for it. So they catch up with you by the time you finally jump up, and you dash off ahead to the next one. Finn, this is going to take a little extra climbing, but you, uh... Get up there, tie the rope off, the process repeats. You get to the front gates of the house first, Vesper. Are they open or are they barred? They are barred with a great big padlock and chain. From here, you can see that this place has uh, like a commanding view of the surrounding area. It is one of the higher points between here and the bluffs, although it is far from being as tall as the bluffs themselves. You can see the last rays of the sun disappearing behind the approaching wall of black clouds that march in from the west like an armada. They're close enough now that the thunder is audible, and you can see the lightning staining the bottom of them. Now and then an especially large crack will be seen as a thread of light from where you are, but the wind has started to pick up from offshore. Is there any other entrance that I can see, or is it just the front gate? Well, these are the front gates, and across the way is the entrance to the house itself, but there's, like, more gardens and yards between it. I just make a mental note of that, and then go check out the front gates to see how 
heavily barred they are and if there's a way that we can get through them into the main house. Well, it's, it's a joke to get through them. Like they kind of hang off at an angle. You just have to wriggle through and take a DC 10 athletics check. Yeah, that's a 13. Yeah, so you get through no problem. Like it, it's mainly fitting your antlers through the space, right? And then once I get through, can I do the same um, communion with the land that I did down at the bottom to see if anything is different up here? Yep, I will sit down and roll a nature check. It'll take you as long as it takes them to get up to meet you, though. So, Magrin, it's a little bit unceremonious the way they just kind of hand you up the stairs like that, but it works. So, not particularly worth complaining about. And besides, you get to be at least second uh, through the gates. Yay. Um, I'm going to immediately kind of take in my surroundings, but I'm a bit distracted because I'm curious about the concept of the island being alive. And I'm trying to think if there's any legends or creatures in my, you know travels that I've heard of that could potentially, you know, either be island-sized or maybe something that would cause the island to be alive, or maybe it's just by making nature symbols. Essentially, her mind gears are just whirring right now with possibilities. Oh, it could be any of a dozen things, right? And what if it is? Wouldn't that be amazing if it was here the whole time? The ecosystem structure is just so interesting. Juro would absolutely know if this were the case, though, right? I mean, it, it is it's been his job to be aware of any you know any type of alien being that lives in the area. Right, any type of alien being that lives in the area. This island could have been here for a very long time. It could have been under a stasis, or you know, there's there's so many possibilities of how it could have slipped your notice. We are the alien beings, I think, in this region compared to the island, possibly. Finn is going to come up to Magrin and and sort of say, what did you mean earlier when you said that this place wasn't haunted? Are we on a wild goose chase here? Well, my my dearest nephew, as you know with Juro, it is, it is often a wild goose chase. Um, I... Oh, shush you. Um, I don't believe the island is haunted by spirits or ghosts or any of that kind of nonsense or the undead around. Um, but there is definitely something happening here. It's not nonsense. I've seen these things, Dr. Magrin. And ever the divide between sciences and magics, right? Like she's a, she's a hard, like she's a, she's a scientist, you're the magician. There's a, there's a line there, right? I mean, yes, if anybody straddles that line, effectively it's Garnack. Half of what he does is like it was, he does what he does is as much art as craft, right? But yeah, there's there's your there's the stumbling block. Well, ma- magic is more than is magic is nothing more than science that involves uh, steps that are not often taken. In, here, here, in a laboratory. 
you tell her, Elf? You gotta quit thinking of death as binary, though. It's not really a true-false. It's more like a wide array of... Not even really multiple choice, more like checkboxes where you have about 13 different things that are happening. So, there's probably a whole lot of dead things here and not here and sort of here. It's going to be interesting. Well, I do believe in the the concept of, you know, energy transfer and, you know, the the, uh, being's full energy. I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to the idea of you know, um, afterlife ghost happenings. Well, undead definitely exist. It's more of a rising of the body than a than a rising of metaphorical soul. Well, the you know the energy of the being has to, does have to go somewhere. I believe it's more of a cyclical nature relationship. Well, if we're very unlucky, then. This very evening could prove one of us correct. And that's very unlucky. Well, that's actually the best kind of science, really. You're around the last corner, Magrin, and the gates are hanging off at an angle big enough for a grown adult to walk through. No problem at all. Everybody else? Um, Yeah, you could probably wriggle through that through that whole Garnack if you turn sideways and bent your knees. Done and done. I mean, you're not even a big dude for being a dwarf. You're not that wide, and you're not that short. But you're still short and wide like everybody else. You know? Typical. Finn's gonna walk over to where Vesper is and kind of... Because I think he, he probably doesn't have the same nature sense as she does. But I think he probably feels like something is strange with this land. And so he kind of crouches next to her and and he'll say, are you feeling the same kind of thing I'm feeling about this place? Well, Vesper, for her 21 nature check, is uh, sitting cross-legged on the lawn in front of the Hawthorne house, uh, facing west in the in, in the face of the approaching storm. She's blocked from the worst of the wind by the house, but the breezes that eddy around are moving her black hair around where she's floating slightly above the ground, cross-legged. And her long tail is slowly and subconsciously threading through the grass and weeds of the lawn as though she's caressing it. I'm getting something. I can tell you that this island has seen a lot which affects it, but there's something more. I feel an energy under the ground. I don't know what it is. Am I getting anything like that, Adam? This place... Once you get beyond the sentiment and meaning, the place is most definitely vividly spiritually present. It is no more or less alive than any of the other rocks and stones. 
and soil and microbes and microorganisms and macroorganisms and biomes all around it, which is to say very. It is very much alive. There is a huge spiritual presence here. Several of them, in fact. Is it haunted? You don't know. Vesper will speak without opening her eyes. There are presences here, spirits, as one might call them, but I can't make anything more than that out right now. Well, I don't personally sense anything, but that's that's no proof. I, I could just commence with a cleansing ritual. I think we should get on inside before we start anything like that. You go inside. I'll stay here for a bit longer. Did you maybe want to leave a few jars out, Garnak? Leave a few jars? Yeah, put a few lightning jars out. We could use some. Oh, that would be great. You always have a couple empty on you. Why not? I'll rig up some of the empty rounds that I have for the can chucker. Start setting up the different fields needed to uh, gather in some energy. There's a big iron fence all around this part of the property. So, yeah, you can figure. You could, you could can a bunch of lightning in this coming storm, if nothing else. What is a lightning jar? It's a jar for containing lightning. Yeah, a generic term for a device made for containing the mechanical fields created by bolts of lightning that can then be redirected to charge large amounts of protons into energies or into objects creating large quantities of damage. You shock a lot of stuff with it, it's great. Yes, it pretty much does what it says on the jar. I have been curious about the concept of electrotherapy. I believe that's banned in this part of the country. Oh, I'm not saying we zap people's brains. I'm saying we zap people's tendons and see if we can get them to move again and twitch. I just felt a phantom foot twitch. Let's just get the lightning rod going before Magrin gives me any more nightmares. Fucking professors. And the camera goes around to a quick pastiche of, uh, you know, people wiring various lightning jars around the fence to Hawthorne House. Now, as you're doing this, the camera lingers on Garnack around the back, wiring up the first one in the circuit to uh, what hopefully will be like six lightning jars that you can fill up in the oncoming storm. The good thing about this is they call lightning to them. The bad thing about this is they call lightning to them. So, like 90% of the time, they work pretty good and the lightning hits where it's supposed to. The other 10% of the time, it misses by a margin. So, however big that margin is, depends on how big the lightning is. And that is the X factor in this kind of pursuit. So, you got to make sure these things are exact. And while you're going through giving them one last calibration, the first bunch of raindrops, big, fat, thick, off-the-water raindrops begin to fall heavily into the yard, splatting into things. You get it all wired up, and you uh, go, you know, squeak-stomping around the house to the front door where everybody else is 
gathering in in the in the beginning of the storm the raindrops as mentioned come splattering in so uh now or never folks you folks mind if we get in out of the rain yes of course uh adam what does this door this front door look like the house on hawthorne hill is a big arched ostentatious double-doored affair they close together with great big brass knobs and a heavy locking mechanism the doors themselves are closed there were at one time windows which stood the length of the doors on either side there is no glass in them now while the place is closed and there are bills of foreclosure still plastered to the gray wood of the front door nobody's bothered to open them like to kick them open to get anything out there is not a, a piece of glass left in any of the windows in this house you i'm sure we've all seen it um just then a jolt of wind comes in a huge gust from off the shore and uh blasts across the island down the shore and through the house such curtains as still remain within billow out harshly and then flap back in as the gust of wind dies off the rain intensifies however and becomes a heavy pour now did you say that this was a single door or a double door it's a double door so i'm going to pull out my dagger and just slit down through the middle uh just to cut through the bills of foreclosure and anything else that might be uh just sticking across both doors to make it that much easier to open okay and i'm going to attempt to uh get past whatever locking mechanism is holding it closed all right how you want to do that well, first, brute force. That's going to be my my first, uh, just my very first attempt is just going to be uh, trying to pull the doors open. You All know, right. tur- turn the knob, pull them open. You turn the knob, and uh, the one knob turns. There's a click, but the big brass lock on the front holds. Hey, Garnack. Uh, I head up with the thieves tools and uh, start taking a look at the lock. Can I use intellect for this? You sure can. All right. It, it's a basic lock. It's it's one of the first, it's one of the ones you let the kids open and close. You know, because it's not hard. It, it's good for most people. It closes with a lock. It, they're hard to break open. All of this. Um, so you walk over, pull your tools out, and. Uh, little bit of oil second later there's a click and uh you step aside while Jero opens the doors they push oh they push inward and uh this big rush of air comes through the house it smells musty and moldy and mildewy and dusty but within the room in front of you is dry ish Dryish is great. I get inside. Okay, so this place is like this musty, dirty entrance hall, and it's 20, 
five feet side to side. You know, uh, off to your front to the left, there's a corridor leading into the south wing of the house. There's uh, like, you know, spots on the wall which are more vivid than the rest of the moldering wallpaper and, you know, holes in the plaster where you can see the lath through it. Uh, there's like a colony of mushrooms crowding the foot of the staircase, which is in front of you and to the right. There's a, uh, well, it's a staircase on the northern wall. It climbs up to the next story. There's a balcony up there that overlooks the this this whole hall uh, along its uh, west and south sides. The, pan- the stairs look fairly solid, but the balcony rail has been broken in several places. Um, there are remains of a bonfire in this big entrance hall here. Uh, like, you know, remains of burnt wood, bones from a campfire, like a, an old shield used as a brazier, essentially, but not for a long, long time. Underneath the stairs, the west end of the hall, there's a, another corridor that goes north. I think we should try and find somewhere a little bit more inside on the building. We might have a little bit of shelter from wind or whatever else might be coming through windows. All right, well, the storm comes in now. You can hear the thunder. And the lightning isn't far behind. So uh, ahead of you, there's a hallway which vanishes off to the west, uh, the west wing of the house. To your left, as mentioned, there's a hallway that goes into the south wing of the house. And ahead, there's a like there's a staircase on the north wall, and then a hallway which leads off underneath that. So where to, Professor? Do you know what you're looking for? Well, um, not really. Part of this process is going to be spending the evening in the house, just seeing what happens. I think maybe we should try and find our way down. If there's a basement, get under where this feeling's coming from. Master Finn, we're on an island. I don't think the basement is going to be... If there even is a basement, I don't think it's going to be the source of any problem. It's going to be fairly close to water. Nothing else starting at the basement gives us a starting point. We can start on the bottom and work our way up. Well, like as mentioned, you are about 100 feet off the waterline right now, right? Um, There is plenty of rock and stone and obviously cracks and crevices and whatnot beneath you. Okay. And it is a three-acre island, so that's pretty sizable bit, but anyway. Back uh, where I come from, there was plenty of rocks along the shore, and, you know, there's plenty of caves, plenty of caverns. You can get lost in there. It's possible this place was built on old caverns, which explain that crack outside. I suppose you're right. The most most important thing is that I find the very center of the house. Even Even if there's nothing else going on here, I can still perform a basic cleansing ritual, but I do need to find this, the very center point of the house and start placing rods. 
Well, then you should probably have a quick scout about and see what the place looks like. So, uh, hold on, Juro. You gotta do this right. So, all right, I need you to look into the glyphstone. I need you to look at the glyphstone. I need you to look really like authoritative, authoritative, and uh, intelligent, like you know what you're doing. Really pretend like you know what you're doing, and you know, lay out your plan. Go for it, man. Juro kind of stares at you for a moment. We got to record this. I mean, I, if we get it on tape, this is what that we get this recorded. We're gonna use a glyph stone to present to the board. We got to nail this. You got to show that you're in charge. Adam, what is what is the current date? Today is the fifteenth of Kalunith in the year ten twenty. While Garnak is talking to Juro, Vesper's just going to slide away. Okay. Garnak, I'm looking into the camera, putting on my sternest academic face. And I start shining a light from like under your chin, so it's like coming up to give that nice little cheesy horror movie effect. What are you doing? Oh, lighting. It's important. The point of view switches to the Glyphstones, which has a spookily lit Juro in that sort of washed out, semi-transparent, three-dimensional hologram representation that they do. The light from beneath giving the angles of his face a spooky yet stern authority and lighting up the lambent thomachrome circles of his elven eyes. The whole effect is rather eerie, as Juro says. Today is Ikaro, 15th of Kalunith, IR 1020. Uh, investigations of Juro Volant of Tallwater University. Investigation begins. How was that? Uh, that's good. Now, tell them what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then um, boss Finn around a little bit. It'll look good. Sure. Uh, I'm going to complete a, a a ritual, a cleansing ritual, wherein I would place 13 rods throughout the house based around a central point and uh, cast a small protection spell that will hopefully expunge any residual uh, spiritual energy that persists in this place. Like that? Yeah, yeah. now tell Finn to do something. Boss around. Tell him to go down that hall with his gun pointed. Something like that. I'm, I'm not going to... You gotta do it, man. Come on. The camera angle switches to a high oblique, taking in the whole room now, not the glyphstones. As Jiro says, Finn, would you mind taking a look down that corridor for me? Yep. The camera follows Finn's broad shoulders as he holds his rifle to the alert and paces off down the hallway that Vesper had padded off a moment before.
Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Goodbye. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Yeah. <laughs>